Welcome to the Gravity Technique podcast. My name is Kaz and I'm the creator of the Gravity Technique, which is a bridge between the face-meltingly boring science world and the practical application of how your body actually works. I've spent 20 years researching anatomy and movement so you don't have to, and this podcast is where I deep dive into debunking, de-jargoning and myth-busting some of our common ailments. So if you're ready to feel empowered and take responsibility for your own health and well-being, let's get started. So in this episode, I am chatting to the wonderful Sarah Hunt from Messy Luminous Being. And in my world, she is all about the mindfulness, the meditation. She's a long-term meditator of many, many years um, and just specializes in bringing yoga, meditation and mindfulness into your daily life in a really practical way. So if you're balancing a laptop on one knee and a baby on the other, you can still have all the fundamental underpinnings that I feel you need to feel like your life is in control. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. So we're looking at, as I was just saying, mindfulness in real life, meditation in real life. Now you have a um, a daily routine that's the stuff of legend, as do I, that non-negotiable space that we've created in our lives whilst raising children at the same time so just where did you start how did you get into that you know were you born meditating (laughs) (laughs) definitely not so um what is really true about my meditation practice my yoga practice and my morning routines is that I have really never managed to keep things you know steady and reliable and the same for very long so the you know i started my meditation training in a traditional lineage of tibetan buddhism the same year that i had my first son and so i started out learning what felt like the most important thing we can do, which is to learn about ourselves and the nature of the mind. And I was being asked, of course, to practice in a very traditional way, which meant sitting by yourself for long periods of time in the quiet, undisturbed. And anyone who lives with a family of any shape or size knows that when you live with other people and you're not in that those other people aren't also monastics in a monastery or retreat center doing you know the same thing that you're doing in the morning then finding a long period of time and and by that i mean any more than 10 minutes that's quiet and undisturbed is like waiting for the stars to align And my children are now almost 12 and nine. So there is space definitely that has started to open up in my life. And people now do sleep in the morning. But the realities of my life have been practicing in a very messy and constantly moving situation because you know, when you're raising kids and you're in householdy life, even, you know, when there's not young kids involved, 
it doesn't take too long before something changes that means that your routine has to change, right? So sometimes that's because, you know, kids' sleep routines change and one minute they're sleeping and the next minute they're not. And that was my story for a really long time. But sometimes that's because one minute you're feeling great and you've got this great exercise morning routine going and you're doing your whatever three times a week or you're getting up and then you get sick or you go on holiday or something changes in your work schedule and you need to travel or I could think of 17 other different scenarios and you get thrown off for a week and then getting back to the routine feels like a monumental effort. So there's something that has occurred to me over all the years that I have both struggled to practice and also really been very hard on myself about how I'm not doing it right. And I'm not doing it as well as the people in my meditation group who seem to all be coming to our groups and sitting and talking about how they're sitting daily at 5.30 in the morning, la la la. And meanwhile, my kids are waking me up multiple times a night and I'm coming to these meditation sessions looking like I have the biggest bags under my eyes and like chugging coffee and um, you know it's like not the herbal tea meditator you know that you think you're going to be and at the same time it has slowly dawned on me that the method in which meditation has been practiced and taught and this is true of yoga too, is that it has been handed down by a very male lineage. So the people that have taught meditation are usually men. They were the monastics um, for the most part. It was very difficult for me to find an example of a female teacher who was practicing and could tell me how to practice in life with kids. So even Pema Chodron, who many people know as a you know famous woman in the Buddhist tradition, she didn't start any of her training until after she had her kids and they were grown. So you know I kept looking and I kept looking, but I couldn't find, I'm not saying there isn't those people out there, but it was it was not obvious. Mm -hmm. The people that you see are mostly men. And this is, we know, both of us know this is true of the traditional yoga that was brought over to the West by probably a total of five men, four of which were trained by Krishnamurti. So, you know, it, it, it started giving me food for thought and kind of permission that maybe this wasn't the only way to practice and that maybe I wasn't doing it wrong. Maybe the life that I was living required the outside of the practice, like what it looked like on the outside, not what my mind was doing, not the instructions that I was being given on how to calm the mind, but the way that it looked like sitting on the cushion with your legs crossed in a quiet place with some candles. Maybe that wasn't the only way to get the results that I wanted to get, which was being present more often, not being a victim to my mind that would think about things and talk to me in my head in a way that was really not very nice. And I think we all have that. We have 
you know, what, what my teacher calls the bully that is there as soon as you wake up, you know, that's telling you it wants things, it's demanding things, it's not happy if it doesn't get it, you should be different. You know, we all have this voice. I want to be free of that voice and I want to be free to direct my attention where I want to put it and where it's helpful to put it, mm. you know? And I want to be able to, when something happens in my life, I want to not lose a sense of myself when, you know, when my kid does something that just is so triggering or, you know, something happens that's really disappointing or someone reacts to me out in the world, especially our family, right? In a way that we get angry or ashamed or frustrated or whatever it is. I want the freedom to pause and decide how I want to feel, how I want to take that on, whether I want to take it on at all. And I want to have that connection with myself all the time. I don't want to lose sight of that. So yeah, that's, that's my goal. And my, you know, decade and a half of practice has been in, you know, what I call messy real life, which is like, how do you weave it in to life as it is? And how do we come into friendship with life rather than what it felt like for a lot of years, which was always wishing life was different, always wishing things were different, that somehow things would calm down or that people wouldn't be so noisy or that people would sleep in a predictable way. <laughs> and you're at, you're at odds with life when your mind is that way. So my, also my goal is how can I find what I need and be in friendship with life as it is? That's so beautiful. And it's really profound, I think, for many of us, because we, we do have, I think, particularly for the listeners of this podcast, where we, you know, our, our audience is women between sort of 35 and 65 or 75. And, but, you know, in our 40s, never do we seem to be busier. But it's at a time when, yes, we, you know, we've got our, jobs or our work we're running our own businesses we're in senior levels in 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 our companies or um, and we've got children of varying different ages around us and we're running the home and we had still have social life um and it's also a time that a lot of us come to looking at spirituality i remember the, the defining moment for me i had a practice a long time before i had my daughter and it was a big jolt because i'd had time run as myself and it was it was like you know this child had turned up and suddenly run off with you know all the things that that I held dear and it was a book by same lineage funnily enough um Akon Tolku Rinpoche and his uh Restoring the Balance and there's um he talks about in that book uh he is meditating in the lounge his kids are climbing all over him. His wife is in the kitchen making making dinner. And that was the first time, like you say, I'd, I'd found somebody who was a, 
out there in real life who was a lay person rather than you say like the monks you know closed away in the um in in the monastery and it was the first time it was like oh it's not sitting all by yourself it's it's allowing the externals to happen but for me the reason that you know this has become so much i mean we've been meditating on our meditation journeys you know side by side for a really long time now and we we share regularly about <laughs> what's what's happening this week but i think as we've gone through life it the the underpinning that the regular practices of just taking time for yourself like you alluded to that that ability to for your kid to trigger you for something to happen at work or for things to happen in life and for us to actually have the capacity to stop take a second assess and then come back with the secondary action we always have that initial knee-jerk reaction we've been taught with our practice that you come back with the the secondary action but it just allows you time to get your to gather your thoughts to think about what you know what you're going to do going forwards and I think that's that's why I love messy luminous being so much is that it it teaches you these fundamental skills that are applicable in in life so yeah there's there's two things that you make me think of one is there's a lot of talk about taking care of yourself and taking time for yourself and I think there is a lot of different ways that we do this and some of them don't fill us up and we have to be really honest about that and that doesn't mean that I still don't catch myself doing these things or just not care enough to not do them you know like we're talking the scrolling or the tv or just the things sometimes it's talking on the phone to somebody that you don't really need to connect with you're just doing it because you're a bit bored and stuff and I think the the key for me always is at the end of that space of time are you more resourced? So just because you're not doing for someone else, like I think we have to become a little bit more mindful or intentional about what are the things that we are doing for ourselves when we take time for ourselves. Do you know what I mean? And that can also look like, say you take a bath and this is time for yourself because, you know, the bathroom is the place you can lock the door, right? And, <laughs> and you, can, you can stay in there. But if you take with you a mind that is just spinning over the same old problems, the same old situation or conversation you had with your mother or the person that annoyed you at the school gate or a work colleague, then that's not time for yourself. Or you've taken the phone in the bar. Yeah, exactly. I've so, never that's, done. so that's one thing. So that's like the, the intention to, at some point in the day and in your week, have something, even if it's a couple of minutes that is actually resourcing for you you know and sometimes it takes a bit of time to figure out what is the thing that works for you in that you know because there are different things and I think we need to give ourselves the permission to find the things that work for us rather than try and follow the perfect morning routine that works for someone else so that's the first thing the other thing is about time and I had a real light bulb moment that I really want to share with everyone because you were talking about how in in your 40s into your early 50s it can be really busy trying to do all the things you've got maybe kids 
you've got really a lot of work going on probably. You might have parents that you now start to have to care for or do things for. And it is a really busy time. And I have spent <laughs> so much of my time, you know, in my sort of meditation journey, feeling like I didn't have enough time and that once the kids got older or once this happened or once that happened, it would be easier to find the time to do it. So the thing that completely shattered that illusion and made me really recalibrate everything was that during lockdown, during the COVID pandemic, during the first kind of six months of it, I was still meeting on Zoom like we were all doing with my meditation group. And these are people who have been training in a very, you know, traditional lineage of Tibetan Buddhism for probably a minimum of seven years. So, you know, we are not, no one in this space is beginner practitioners. And we were all talking, we'd meet once a month and just check in with how practice was going and how everyone else was doing. Cause it, you know, it was crazy and, you know, big new thing with the pandemic. And there was an older woman who was retired and lived on her own. And so she was suddenly in a situation that we in a way kind of all when we're really busy dream of, of like nothing to do massive spaces of time right and we were all talking about you know how practice was going you know in a really it was a really lovely way because no one by that point is under any illusions that it's easy or that anyone's practicing every week all the time like we know that things go up and down and this is a support group for like how can you you know, find time or remember the motivation behind it and kind of get re-inspired. And this particular woman, when it sort of came to her turn to share and talk, she was like, you know, I just, I just don't find the time to sit, you know, it's just, you know, the days go and I'm just, I'm not sitting at all. And out of all of us, she was the one who was not practicing at all for months. So what I want to like kind of give everyone listening the gift that I got from that in that moment was like, we are under an illusion that the problem is time and the problem is not time. And if you don't have a practice when you're busy, you will not have a practice when you are not busy yeah. because you will always find a way to be busy. And I know that's true for me. I will always find a way to be busy because being busy is a little bit easier than slowing down and pausing and, and slowing down the momentum of our life and our mind. It's really uncomfortable to do that. Now, if we can manage the discomfort and we get used to that discomfort of slowing down, on the other side of that is, you know, luminous, beautiful presence connection, things that we're looking for. But we have to become tolerant of that discomfort of slowing down because it is not something that ever feels very easy or lovely. It is a transition between going 100 miles an hour and moving down to about 10 miles an hour. And you're going to have that pressure from the seatbelt as you slow down. 
And that's that once you practice for a while, you understand and you can sit through it because you realize this is just the discomfort part when my mind is still really busy and distracted and I think it's never going to calm down no matter how long I sit here. And once you keep practicing and keep sitting and don't give up, you start to get all those benefits and you start to get to the other side of the bridge. That's um, why it's called a practice, right? That's it. Because, it, you know, and it is paradoxical in nature, isn't it? Because the first time we sit down, I remember that. And the first time you sit down and look at your own brain and it's like, what on earth is this? Um, and, and it's quite hard to see why this would be beneficial and it's you know my teacher used to call it like the oil and the water together in the in the jar and you have to give the jar a really hefty shake to make the emulsion and if you wander off and you leave it they're just going to separate again so you, it's that you know but it is um something that a little bit like the toddler eating his dinner isn't it you know we, we keep bringing them back to the plate <laughs> no we're eating food today look at the plate <laughs> we keep coming but but it's that gentle uh thing talk a little bit more because i really get the the um the time thing that you're talking about because when i first started practicing yoga i'm not a morning person i never have been I have raging vitamin d level issues at the moment i'm sleeping till about seven in the morning because there's been a shift in the um in the seasons so for those of us that are affected by the seasons for those of us that are never going to spring out of bed <laughs> looking like julie angels at 5 30 in the morning what what do we do what what's give us some practical tips where do we start yeah so i remember also sitting in our yoga teacher training and hearing a couple of the people say that they got up at 5 30 every morning and lit candles and did their practice and it's like that's the dream right we all wish we were that person but <laughs> if you're not that person then you're in good company with with me and you're welcome you know, here. <laughs> yeah so exactly um what I think is that what we're what we have to ask ourselves is what we're really trying to do and what we're really trying to do is i for me is as i said before to create space between the chatter of our thoughts and the feeling of ourselves so we have a choice about which thoughts to follow which thoughts to believe ways that we want to react rather than just reacting in the habituation all the all these things that help us feel more joy and don't allow us to like get caught up in all the negative crap and drama and you know stuff so if that's what we're trying to do and we're just trying to slow the momentum down then it's not necessary to sit every day for 20 or 30 minutes dropping in in the middle of your day is sometimes the most powerful practice you can do. You know, pausing for five minutes in the middle of your day in a break between two things is some of the most powerful practices that you can have. So having a morning practice, whether that looks like, you know, sometimes some weeks for me, what I can manage is opening my back door and looking out 
in the garden and breathing fresh air and just listening to the birds for a moment and that's it. Mm. That's what I did. And then I go pack the lunches and do all the things. And sometimes I'm in the zone of sitting for long periods of time. And sometimes I know I need to move. So your morning practice can change. This is what this is what I feel like is it said enough. Because we're all looking for that like perfect morning practice. And it's supposed to look the same every day and every week. And actually, when you start to listen in to what you really need, what you need changes. And so you are allowed to change and respond to that. And so if mornings are not your thing, or if some weeks mornings just don't feel possible, then you find other ways to take that space in the day and remember what it is you're actually really trying to do, which is just bring the momentum of your mind down. And so listening, you know, to a really short meditation that can happen in the middle of the day, that can happen on a walk, that can happen on a park bench. You know, there's a lot. And, you know, one of the really, really helpful pieces of instruction that we were both given um, by my teacher, Martin, was mind the gap. And the gap is any pause in the day. And once we're looking for those gaps, we find them everywhere. And they're the gaps that you're filling with the distraction of your phone. They're the gaps that you're filling with frustrated thoughts about how someone is late or traffic is bad or you haven't gotten where you need to go or someone else isn't where they said they'd be. So pausing in these moments, it feels like it's not enough. It feels like nothing is happening. And then all of a sudden you realize your stress levels are not what they used to be and you are sleeping a little bit better and you're not getting wound up as much by some things that you used to really get hooked in by. And there is a little bit more space and awareness and ability to drop a thought. And I remember after so many years of kind of really trying to practice in the traditional way, and I, you know, I managed it sometimes and I, this is not to say that sitting on your mat is not important because it gives you a strength to your practice that helps you stop your mind in all those other moments in your day. But I remember, you know, thinking nothing's happening. It's not working. It's not working. And then I was driving and I can't remember some, I, I don't even remember what happened to be honest, but someone had said something and I was spinning it in my head, that same scenario playing over and I was doing the thing where I was having the fight with the person in my head and thinking about the clever, funny thing, not funny, like clever things that I would say back to make me right and them wrong. And I was doing the whole thing and I was, my whole body was experiencing it. My heart rate was up. I wasn't noticing any of that at first because I was completely not where my body was. I was off in this fictitious land where I was having a fight with somebody who wasn't even present. And all of a sudden, because I snapped in, this is just me sitting in a car and I snapped in and I was like, I remembered my practice, you know, and 
I thought, oh, I can just drop this thought. And the instant that I that, that realization came to me, it was like the thought and, and the whole vision kind of just dissolved. And I just started laughing because it was like that laughing Buddha moment. I got it. It's like, it's so hilarious when you see through what we do to ourselves and how not necessary it is. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm saying that to, to give people a kind of reassurance and inspiration or motivation that these little drops of practice are the things that transform you. And the number of people that I have seen and been jealous of over the years that have gone off on these 10 day silent retreats and they've had amazing experiences in their mind. And I was stuck at home with the kids wishing that I could go off on a 10 day retreat and have people cook for me and not have to speak to anyone (laughs) and sleep through the night. None of them kept practicing. And that's, so, that's the thing, isn't it? So the thing is, messy, luminous being. Life is messy. We have to practice in messy real life because that's where we live. We don't live on retreat. So getting good at doing retreats, it's a wonderful holiday, but it doesn't help us with real life. But if we practice in these moments of just, you know, it sounds cliche, but taking a breath, and actually, actually getting your mind to feel it, not just taking a breath, but watching the breath, letting the breath hold hands with the mind so that the mind starts to slow down and go at the speed of the breath rather than 100 miles an hour. It transforms the mind and you don't see the transformation at first. And then all of a sudden you have a moment where you realize things are different in, inside of you. And if things are different inside of you, everything's different outside of you. And it doesn't take very long for this to happen as well, doesn't it? I mean, that's that's something I've definitely found because I've, I've wandered off from my practices. We all do. Um, but certainly as I've come into this time of life, running my own business obviously doing this podcast I'm a lone parent I've got a house to run there's there's a lot going on in here but for me the thing that keeps the control to all of it that keeps me on track that allows me to get all my uh oh I had something on my Facebook that said I don't have ducks in a row I have squirrels at a rave and I thought this was wonderful (laughs) so but it allows me to get you know it stops the roller decks from spinning and allows me to get the cards of my thoughts in order and it's wonderful for brain fog feelings of anxiety feelings of depression because like you say these are I was when you're talking about the having the row with somebody in the car um and the row is with yourself the witty retorts that you oh, think, oh, well, oh, they're amazing. The things I would have said had I have thought of them at the time. But, you know, this whole thing where we're so caught up in the head and then we're literally just inundated, aren't we, by so many thoughts that we can't get the stuff that really matters, the stuff that really is important, the stuff that brings us joy, the stuff that allows us to 
be the mom that we want to be or you know be the parent that we want to be and be you know the business owner that we want to be or whatever it is that you want to be it this almost allows you to go in and cherry pick doesn't it the bits that are important and then the rest you can just discard here's the thing and if you're like anyone who's listening this is something like the moment to take into your heart i think we all have moments when we really feel the preciousness of our life someone dies someone almost dies we almost die someone's born you know we're walking in the mountains and some somehow the grace of like the mystery of life like descends upon us and we really feel it in our bones and in our blood and in our soul and then we know the magic that we're living in and this is the luminous you know there is a luminousness to our life beyond what we can see and what beyond what we always get caught up in and I get caught up all the time you know you know <laughs> but we mustn't lose that we mustn't miss it it is what matters and so we have to be friends with messy realities and the squirrel rave you know, and we don't have to have all our ducks in a row. And we actually don't need to work from the outside in. We don't have to have, because what we're saying when we want all our ducks in a row and we want the house clean and we want things in order is, I'm trying to organize the outside world so that I feel clarity and space on the inside. We're just looking for the inside feeling. That's what we're looking for with everything. And so we make the mistake, and it's not our fault because this is how we're taught, is work from the outside in. You know, organize your life and then you'll be happy. Get everything in order, have everything under control, and then you can feel in control on the inside. And what we need to do, you know, we look outside and that method doesn't work very well. Yeah, because very few people genuinely feel joyful and present most of the time. So what we need to do is be a bit wiser and, you know, hang on to the luminousness of our precious life. You know, it's that Mary Oliver, what are you going to do with this precious life? And not totally lose sight of that for very long. Keep coming back and holding on to the light inside of us and the magic and mystery. You know, when you held your baby or when someone held you and you came into the world out of nothing, out of nothing, like one time you weren't here and then you're here. And that's like the miracle you know, a tree grows from an acorn. I planted seeds in the spring and they became like massive plants that gave me food. Like when we touch the magic of life, you know, we don't miss it. We know that's where we are meant to be. 
we don't have any other need to make more meaning out of stuff because we're there, we're in connection with it. And so we also need to be more clear about the way that we need to live from the inside out. And that is put more attention on what's going on on the inside of us and not worry so much if our ducks on the outside are in a row, because if the inside of us gets clear, the ducks will sort themselves out, right? Absolutely. And you don't, you don't need to, we don't, you know, when I get caught up all the time, we get caught up in the, in the lie that it's out here. Mm. And we know that we're mostly energy and not matter. And so if we work from the inside on our energetics, on our mind, you know, then it feels unbelievable <laughs> that the outside stuff will sort itself out, but it does. It just does because most of it's out of our control anyway. And if we're in the right energy and the right alignment, then we've got what we're looking for anyway. And this it's not a thing to chase, is it? I think that something that's... Um... That, that we shared through, again, we come back to the pandemic and the lockdowns, was, um, you know, learning with Martin all those years ago, you know, everything is impermanent. And that's what we're repeating. Everything is impermanent. Everything is permanent. I get divorced. Everything is impermanent. We make transcontinental jumps. Everything is impermanent. Parents get sick, you know, all of this stuff. And you're going impermanent, impermanent. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Lockdown came. Oh, that impermanent <laughs> but what i found for that kind of i'd been cultivating without realizing that i'd been building this and i saw it in myself and saw it in you as well was that calm that trust that intrinsic foundational trust that everything is going to be okay because it's you've already been practicing that it's impermanent it's messy it's unstable it doesn't stay, so we go into lockdown, but it's not going to stay. We are going to come out the other side at some point. Yeah. Can, can we just find a way where we move through things? And I, I found at that point that our practice kind of came to fruition. It came good because it gave, for me, it gave me a bedrock to sit back on and just, I had something, a trust, a foundation that I yeah. could lean into, even though, yeah, well, it, shit was going south, wasn't it? When yeah, yeah. It Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, do you know Elizabeth Gilbert? She wrote "Eat, Pray, Love," and yes, 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 beautiful spiritual teacher, and um, super real as well. And she had this wonderful um story about how when the pandemic first hit, she was out in Australia because she had been traveling, and her Italian friends, who you know, we know that Italy was one of the first hit. I were calling her saying, this is actually going to be bad. You need to get home. And so she started to have this massive panic response when she sort of realized what was happening and, and the massive implications of a global pandemic that she really saw coming probably before a lot of the rest of us. And she describes how she was at the airport kind of totally panicked to the, you know, person at the desk, like, I've got to get on a flight. I've got to get home. Da, da, da. And then she went and sat down. And it was just trying to breathe and like bring her heart rate down. And she said she heard a voice in her head saying, Liz, 
practice is over. Like you've been practicing for 20 years and practice is over. And I think this is the thing, it's like, this sanctuary is inside of us. Almost everything outside of us we can't control. We believe we can control a lot more than we than we actually can. You know? And for me, my my sort of constant practice is like to discern what is it that I can control here. You know, it, it gets tricky when you're talking about your kids, right? Because you do have a responsibility <laughs> and influence there. But we get so entangled in thinking that we can control how other people respond to us or what they do or don't do or, you know, what people are going to think about us or, you know, what we should do to get other people to do the thing that we need and so many things. And I think <clears throat> when you realize the genuine limitations of your own influence that is mostly just of yourself. At first it's scary. And when you sink in there and you really see it, you're free. And this takes us so much further than, that's so profound. Yeah knowledge that's so profound <laughs> yeah yeah but this this is the root of radical self-love isn't it because this is what I talk about a lot through my platforms is radical self-love is not floating around in the bath once a week scrolling on your phone that's that's not it you know radical self-love is putting yourself first even above your kids so that you have those moments of practice so you get this foundation in place ultimately you serve better my teacher always used to say there's no point jumping in the water to save someone who's drowning when you can't swim that everybody's going to die so she was you know a very cheerful teacher um but, but it was and it took me years to actually get that I mean really get it really understand to say to my daughter you need to give me five minutes is it urgent is it life-threatening you need to give me five minutes but once my daughter cottoned on and she sent, she used to, you know, back in the other days, she used to send me for my meditation. If I hadn't been, if I hadn't been off to do it when she was about 10, she's like, oh, you're grouchy. Getting, go on, get in your room, go and sit on your cushion and do the thing. So, you know, this becomes a, a foundation for life, doesn't it? Where, and the people around us appreciate our presence, our calmness, because this stuff's contagious. Yeah. Our presence, our calmness, our rationale, and and our ability to just be there in a in a as the best version of ourselves yeah not the stressed out pissed off tearing our hair out juggling six plates at the same time and you know one just okay. hit the floor person is this us showing up as the best version of ourselves but and it is that for me that's the definition of radical self-love is i put myself first so i serve everybody else better there's a ripple effect yeah. that comes out and of that that's it. And I think we hear this a lot. And as women, it's really hard to take on the truth of that. And uh, I, there's a wonderful, I, I listened to a wonderful interview by Glennon Doyle when she was doing her book tour for Untamed. Oh, I love her. A wonderful book. But she, <laughs> she says something, and I'm not going to quote this like perfectly, but she says something about how 
there's a poisoned root that women have been given that is a belief that if we do what is best and right for us, we will hurt our people or our people will get hurt. And, you know, that, that, that might look like, you know, you're sitting in your room, so you're taking your attention and care away from your children. You know, that might be like, you're saying no to being there for someone who really needs you because you don't have capacity or because you know actually deep in your soul that you actually can't help them. They need to help themselves or, or anything, anything. But she sort of, she says, what is true and beautiful for you is always what is best for your people because there is no such thing as two way as one way liberation. Yeah. I think Liz Gilbert said that to her. Yeah. So and, and such thing is one way liberation. You don't, you cannot wish liberation for your daughter and not demonstrate it. You yeah. cannot wish that your friend could feel like, you know, you know, when we think about our best, best friends, and we wish that they could see in them what we see in them. You cannot, they cannot have that without you seeing it in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. All, all of these things, all of these things, we have to take each other's hands, especially as women, and go in the other direction together. Yeah. And when you put up a boundary or you take time in a way that actually works everyone around you not only benefits from but sees it and sees the possibility for themselves which is more of a gift than you could ever give them by doing anything for them right yeah absolutely it's just that it's just that the reality is in the moment it's hard not to go into the habitual it's just hard. So we're good to ourselves and we just try again because life gives us plenty of opportunities to just give it another go, right? It's always but another chance. There's always tomorrow, isn't there? And then I've always, you know, I've always said in my teaching, um, you know, mats are, mats are for practicing or not beating yourself to death with. And But I think, you know, coming back to the womanhood thing, we are taught to martyr ourselves. I watched my mother as a, mm -hmm. as a mum of three. Um, she worked full time. My dad worked full time. You know, everyone works full time. Um, she absolutely martyred herself on a daily basis to make sure that everything ran like clockwork. And, and I was taught this, you know, that was my conditioning. I brought this into my life and I was diligently you know stressed out burnt out at 28 because <laughs> I was young having but, but what you're describing is is so perfect as an example and and I had a lot of this too Kaz and you know we see that the ducks were all in a row and the outside looked fine but what was going on inside was not the right thing oh yes and we, what was given <laughs> what was given was the same chains like you can pass on freedom or you can pass on yes chains yeah and so when you demonstrate freedom you give freedom it's it and you're gonna make some people angry right yeah 
I was just going to say, this is the tough choice, isn't it? To, to live a different way, to live a way that actually societally or culturally, traditionally, we've been taught this is a selfish way, putting yourself first. But to be self-centered is very different from being selfish. So, you know, to, to put yourself first so that you can nurture and nourish others more. But it does require living in a very in a very different way. So how do we one thing, give me one thing that because that's what this podcast is for. Everybody gets something to take home. It's a free thing with every podcast. So one thing that we can take away that I can do today while I'm waiting for my kettle to boil or I'm in my car on the school. You and me are big fans of the kettle boiling moments. (laughs) And I love the kettle boiling moment because there really isn't anything else to do. You cannot do anything else in that moment. So yeah, what I would do is while the kettle's boiling, while you're taking your first sip of tea, whatever it is, a pause, a minute, a two minute block, you feel yourself, like your own presence. So it, we all know how to do this. We call this meditation or there's breath work practices, but this is not, in some ways, this goes far beyond a tradition. This is your right as a human being to connect inward and you know how to do it. Humans have been doing it for always and forever and it is in your DNA and you will know how to get back there. And all you need to do is gently reel your attention in until the moment when you can feel, ah, here I am, that feeling. Like, ah, there I am. I found myself again. Here I am in this moment. Yeah. And if you have to close your eyes, if that helps you, or if you cannot close your eyes, it doesn't matter. Because all that matters is what you feel inside. It's a feeling. It's not a thought. It's that feeling of, I have found my own presence again in this moment. And here I am. And that's it. That's beautiful. And ultimately, because I like it, very accessible, very easy to do. So... Yeah, just taking that. Even for those of you who are listening who've got a quicker, because um, other hot taps are available, but I have run into this recently. Somebody said, I don't have a kettle, I have a hot tap. So, yeah. but like you say, when you have your mug of whatever it is you've just made, and this becomes habit very quickly, doesn't it? Though, you know, we've made the we've made the thing, we can see the tea in the mug or whatever, coffee in the mug, whatever it is, and we can just pause for a second and just the, the beautiful thing about this practice is there is such a relief and a rightness when we have that moment where we feel, ah, oh, here I am. We all want it. We're missing it so much. Mm-hmm. It's part of a very core and fundamental human need that we don't recognize anymore. We've got the nutrition down. We've got a lot of stuff down, but that inner inner recognition and giving yourself your own attention 
is not recognized, that doesn't mean that we don't still need it. We're still human. We're still beings in this world, you know? And so when you're holding that mug of tea or coffee and you are gently just noticing yourself, noticing your own presence in the moment that you're in, it's the most familiar, unfamiliar feeling. We don't spend very much time there, but when we get back there, there's such a relief. And so it feels like coming home. And when you have that feeling, then you want to do it again. And it becomes easier to just remember it, find more time for it. And slowly that one little moment will grow without that much effort into a lot of moments and then into whatever it's going to become in your own individual routine of your week in your life. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And then we all feel more in control, more like we've got our shit together because it's having our stuff together on the inside and then everything else sorts itself out. Yeah. And then I think we don't sweat the small stuff so much, you know? Like I say, my mum always had clean windows and, uh, <laughs> you know, everything was immaculate because she ran the place like a military operation. And, you know, she comes around my house and she's always like, grass needs mowing and windows need cleaning. And it's like, yeah, but other things come first. Those things get done when they need to get done. But fundamental things first. So thank you so much, Sarah. You run all sorts of lovely things under messy, messy, luminous being yoga classes and challenges and bits and pieces. Where do we, where do we find you? So best places to find me are either on Instagram at Sarah B Hunt, or um, the thing I love to do is write emails. And so I have a kind of newsletter and I, I put out sort of messy, luminous, you know, being stuff thoughts, little, it's like little bits of light in your week, you know? So I'll send you the link for that. And that's a really nice way of just staying in touch with, with me, but also really with the idea of you, you know, cause that's what this is. This is, you know, so much of what I say, Kaz, doesn't really come from me anymore. You know, it, it's, it's sort of coming through me and so, you know, this is stuff that we all just need to hear and I need to hear again and again. And so, yeah, so come in and then then people can get little kind of reminders and little moments where you, you get that nudge to reorient um, straight to you. And you don't have to rely on an algorithm to kind of feed it to you or not. So yeah, that's inbox, please. <laughs> that's where I am. Yeah, I love your emails each week. I find them, you know, so insightful and useful. Um, and like a friend in your inbox, I think yeah. that's the, that's what I get from them. And ultimately, you know, this is, it's about reconnection. You know, gravity technique re reconnects your physical body through your physical body back into gravity, which is those forces. And messy luminous being does the same through your mind. And I think everybody comes into reconnection in their own way and that's why i run these sessions is because you know the people that we have on here if if it's not through physical and it's not gravity is a way for you then it may be mindfulness maybe meditation maybe 
in a, a different way. And we, we all come in there because we did the same course together. And I always find this completely fascinating. Same three and a half year course. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we sit in very, very <laughs> different yeah. polar opposite almost ends of the spectrum with regards to the goal of reconnection. Yeah. And yet we still meet, we get to the same space. Totally. I mean, there's so many doors and also, you know, the more you kind of go along through one, the more you think, oh, it's nice, you know, like you were you were using the analogy before we started recording of like different keys, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes like just you, you can have more than one key, more than one practice that makes us feel good. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just try all the things. Basically, none of us need to work. We just all need to go and practice different spiritual practices. Never pay any bill. All of that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been an absolute joy to have you here with us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's That's been, been wonderful. And I will put your link into the um episode space so people can come and find you so go and check out Sarah's work she's a joy to work with very peaceful and calm so it's it's just lovely thank you so much Sarah thank you honey